Welcome to the Breckenridge Podcast. I'm John Bastoni, a securitized products trader here at Breckenridge. Today, I'm joined by Kerm Galani, a portfolio manager on the taxable side here. And today, we'll be discussing performance in April across the investment grade markets. Kerm, we wanted to recap the month of April in this podcast. I was wondering if you could start off with how investment grade corporates performed um, relative to other spread products last month. IG corporates outperformed treasuries and put up 95 basis points of excess returns this month. They also outperformed securitized product and also ag-eligible taxable municipal bonds. The corporate index tightened 10 basis points early on in the month, but remained fairly range-bound during the latter half of April. Across the curve, longer duration IG corporates outperformed shorter duration uh, corporate bonds. And across the quality spectrum, Triple B's outperformed uh, single A's again this month, given the risk on uh, sentiment we had in the, in the marketplace. Year-to-date, IG corporate excess returns stand at 371 basis points. And how about from a total return perspective? Yeah, so from a total return perspective, uh, yield to maturity on corporates fell about four basis points during the month to 3.6%. As such, total returns were positive, 54 basis points during April. But total returns were um, a little bit higher 14 basis points higher to be exact for longer duration bonds and about six basis points lower for intermediate corporate bonds. Across the, the credit curve, uh, the, the corporate credit curve has shifted downward during the year and that was uh, and April was no exception. For example, 10 plus year uh, corporate maturity bonds are 42 basis points tighter year to date, five to seven year corporates are, are 54 basis points tighter and one to three year corporates are 33 basis points tighter uh, from an option adjusted perspective. And what were sort of the main themes that drove the risk on environment um, in April? So there was a, there was some good economic news. Uh, there was a solid Q1 GDP figure, uh, which clocked in at 3.2%. That was above consensus estimates. And then we also had stronger than expected uh, corporate EPS growth. Uh, and all this is all happening, obviously, in the backdrop of a, of a still fairly supportive Fed policy environment. So I would say technicals continue to remain very strong this month and the risk on sentiment as evidenced by uh, the strong rally we had in domestic equities certainly helped uh, give corporates, especially lower rated corporates, a, a, a boost. But of course, at the sector level, there was some you know variation in performance. For example, industrials did outperform financials um, d- during this past month. Are there any other subsectors that you could elaborate on that did better or worse than others? And uh, what were some of the reasons for the, the performance drivers there? Yeah, so first I would say that most sectors um, posted positive excess returns uh, during the month of April. Uh, relatively speaking, autos and telecom definitely performed uh, the best. For telecoms, you know, names like AT&T and Comcast did very well. That was partly an offshoot of recent deleveraging comments that the companies have made. Autos were helped by Ford's better-than-expected earnings numbers, and the company mentioned, quote, they are improving their mix with higher average transaction prices and margins. And overall, the strong performance in higher beta sectors and lower rated names also illustrated the general market preference for higher risk assets uh, in April, as I alluded to earlier, uh, and showed that high grade investors are willing to reach for yield down the credit curve. Um, Another sector that did well this month was independent energy. Um, They had a good showing uh, as as WTI oil prices continued to climb to a year to date high. And then in terms of you asked about sectors that um, didn't perform as well, uh, you know, healthcare, pharma, health insurance names had a had a tough month. 
due to a combination of news headlines related to drug pricing reform, Medicare for all uh, policy discussions, and a, I would say, less rosy forward guidance from some of the larger um, insurance and PBM, PBM companies. That's great. That's a, that's a very helpful overview and some of the fundamentals that uh, we've seen in some of the sectors specifically. But I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about the technical backdrop. It seems very supportive for corporates, in, in, in particular investment-grade bonds, lately. And I was wondering if you could shed some light on some of the specifics that we're seeing there as it relates to the technical backdrop. Yeah, sure. So, you know, demand for IG corporates uh, continues to remain uh, very strong, as evidenced by the strong inflows into high-grade mutual funds and ETFs, uh, which have totaled over $24 billion just this past April, according to data from EPFR, and that's close to $100 billion uh, year-to-date across short-term and intermediate bond funds. Gross supply, on the other hand, you know, declined 31% versus April of 2018. It's down 9% uh, versus the first four months of 2018. And also net supply is, is down pretty significantly also. It's down 24% year to date due to lower financial issuance uh, versus last year. And then also, by all accounts, you know, demand from foreign buyers continues to remain pretty robust. So it's unclear right now what, what the catalyst will be for all of this to uh, come to a, you know, a slowdown or a halt. But right now, um, you know, corporates are continuing to grind tighter. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like supply is just materially down and there's just an insatiable demand for, for high-quality investment-grade paper, and that's continuing to drive some of the price action that we're seeing. That's right. And, you know, May historically has been a very active month in the, in the market, and we're expecting several large issuance for M&A. So we'll see, you know, how that turns out, and if there's any, you know, uh, spread widening in those names or, or any new issue concessions there. Great. Thank you. And then so let's turn to uh, the securitized sector. You know, sort of the same discussions. Let's first start off with performance. How did ABS and MBS perform during the month of April? And how is the, is that, uh, is there any difference between what happened last month versus what's happened year to date? Yeah, I would say, you know, agency MBS has had a very strong start to the year. Uh, most of the performance, however, was um, front loaded in January. Is really we saw all spread sectors enjoy a nice sort of bounce back after a tough end to 2018. Since then, I would probably characterize the performance of agency MBS as really sort of just treading water a little bit. So, John, there's several spread metrics that the market uses to evaluate uh, MBS performance. Can you discuss uh, one of these metrics and how has it behaved so far this year? There are a variety of spread metrics used in the agency mortgage-backed sector, and one of them being the nominal yield spread of the current coupon mortgage-backed security, which by definition is the the security that's trading closest to a par dollar price, versus the yield of 50% of the five-year treasury and 50% of the 10-year treasury. The reason this treasury blend is used is because MBS duration is unstable and it varies with the level of underlying treasury rates. MBS duration does tend to stay within this duration range of the two treasury securities, so the market really uses this as a proxy for the general direction of MBS spreads. So when we look at this spread metric, we started the year around 91 basis points over this treasury blend. And for the most part, we've been trading in the 80 to 90 basis point range um, since then, so, so pretty stable performance. And a couple of reasons can be attributed to this stable performance. One of them is, is again, you touched on this, is supply is low in agency mortgages as well. 
um, in addition to most of the investment grade sectors right now. And just to put some numbers on it, um, to start the year through the end of Q1, we've only seen about $34 billion of net supply, and that's down from about 50 to $65 billion at this time last year. Um, part of this is just, you know, it, it's, it's Q1, the normal seasonal cycle, where traditionally we don't see a lot of home buying in the winter, and therefore, ultimately, MBS creation. In fact, historical averages point to only around um, 10 to 20 percent of any full year's net supply will occur in Q1. All of this is very much interest rate dependent, and we still expect to finish the year around $250 billion in net supply. But those numbers can be, can be revised up the longer we stay around 250 in the 10-year Treasury. So all told, MBS performance was down one basis point last month, but still stands at up 27 basis points year-to-date on an excess return basis. Great. Thanks for the color. That, that makes sense. Uh, and then, you know, we've talked about uniform MBS or UMBS uh, in, the past on this, uh, in the past on this podcast before. Starting next month, looks like Fannie and Freddie will be offering this commingled security. Uh, can you give our, our listeners a little bit of a background or fresher on um, the, why they're doing this and if there's any new updates? Yeah, so right now is, is UMBS launch time. As you mentioned, we have mentioned this a few times on this podcast. But just as a quick refresher, Fannie and Freddie will start issuing the, the new commingled security under this program starting in June. The exchanges of legacy Freddie Mac securities have actually started this month um, in May. Um, and really, it's just being done to promote additional fungibility between the two securities, deepen the liquidity pool, and keep ultimately keep mortgage rates low for, um, for home buyers. So as I said, the, this week is the opening of the exchange of legacy Freddie Mac securities into the new UMBS. Remember that we've mentioned in the past, investors will have the option, not the obligation, to exchange their legacy Freddie Mac securities. So we'll be watching very closely at how quickly the market adopts the program and how quickly those legacy Freddie Mac securities are exchanged. This is one of the biggest operational changes in the mortgage-backed market in the last 30 years. And it's largely an operational change, but from a market's perspective, we do expect to see an effective doubling of the free float of outstanding MBS securities, which will have an impact on supply and demand dynamics and ultimately pressure spreads. And it could have an impact on specified MBS pools, which usually have desirable collateral characteristics, which in theory will have a pre- the market will have a preference for relative to the larger, more generic UMBS type of float. Why would this effectively double the amount of generic collateral free float out there? Because you're taking Fannie Mae securities and Freddie Mac securities and then combining them into one. Got it. That makes sense. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Breckenridge Podcast. We hope you found this uh, informative.